The church, let me invite you to open up the scriptures with me this morning to the book of Exodus, the second book in, in the Bible, as we hear from the Lord today, Exodus chapter 3, as we turn our attention to a new message series over the next several weeks, really for the duration of the summer, we'll be looking uh, at some names and titles of God uh, through which he makes himself known in his word. And so our our task, our desire, as it ought to always be when we open the scriptures, is to know him more, to know this this great and mighty and mysterious God and to to live for him. So to bring us up to speed to Exodus chapter 3. This is a familiar text, but remember the background. Remember that, uh, that uh, Joseph ended up in Egypt in a position of power under Pharaoh. A famine struck uh, the land in, back in uh, Israel. And so Joseph's brothers, his, his family of origin, came and they began to settle in the land of Egypt. And they were given a land. They uh, grew. They became more numerous. They prospered. In fact, the first couple chapters of Exodus make it clear that the Israelites, these offspring of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, began to multiply, continued to multiply so much so that uh, the new king of Egypt, Pharaoh, became alarmed by them and he tried to put a stop to uh, their numbers. The Lord continued to guide them and to bless them. They continued to increase in number. Moses, who... Uh, was given a position, a, a prominent position uh, in the palace under uh, Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He was rescued. The Lord uh, delivered him from a situation of harm. Remember, he was put in the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter rescues him. She raises him as her own. Uh, Moses later flees Egypt for his life because he has committed murder and Pharaoh is out to get him. And so this is really where we pick up the story. So let's direct our attention to God's word. Let's hear from uh, the Lord. I'll begin reading in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Let's hear from the Lord. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, Well, this is a strange sight. The bush is on fire and it's not burning up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses. Moses. Here I am. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. 
So now, go, I am sending you to the Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Then who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the people of Israel out of Egypt? I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that as I have sent you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, I will worship God on this mountain. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Church, let's bow in prayer together. Father God, we do thank you for being a God who has revealed yourself to us. Lord, you have spoken. Lord, we have a record of of your speaking through your word that you have preserved and compiled. Father, we thank you for the privilege of opening your word today in an effort to know you more and to serve you in a way that glorifies you. So, Lord, instruct us now by the presence and power of your spirit that we might rightly understand the truths that are conveyed here and walk in them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What a story. Through this incredible encounter between God and a man a man named Moses, we learn that the transcendent God reveals himself and rescues his people. The transcendent God, the only God, reveals himself, he makes himself known, and he rescues his people. Transcendent is probably not a word that you use every uh, day, but transcendent means uh, that it's surpassing the, the normal boundaries of the universe. Surpassing the normal boundaries spatially, powerfully, temporally. And to be honest, that word alone is insufficient to describe God, for no single word can adequately describe God and capture who He is. He just is. God just is. He is. That truth is at the heart, I think, of our text for today. Symbolically portrayed through the burning bush that never burns up. He is. Somewhat simplistically yet profoundly conveys the identity of God. As we'll soon see, or uh, as I hope we'll see this morning as we unpack God's word, uh, this is what his name means. This is how he describes himself. We want to unpack some of the meaning and significance of his name, but like with anyone else, we get to know him by what he says and, and what he does. And right here, God speaks. He says to Moses, I am holy. I know the descendants of Abraham, uh, the people that I chose. I know that they're in bondage and I am coming to deliver them. Church, the holy God knows our plight and he stoops to save. The holy God knows our plight. He knows our predicament. He knows our troubles. And he comes down, he comes down to save. He knows all things. There's nothing God does not know. 
As David prayed, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. That famous prayer recorded in Psalm 139 goes on to recount all the ways that God knows him. He knows every move that he makes. He knows every thought that he has. He knows every word that he speaks. God knows it all. You kids, and we get some of our older kids in here this morning. You kids, imagine mom or dad saying uh, to you, um, I know what you did. I think, what? And then you might introspectively say, what did I do? Do they really know? You see, parents have a way of knowing oftentimes what it is that kids have been up to, what it is they've done, particularly if they've crossed a, a boundary. But even so, none of us know it all. God knows it all because he is altogether separate from us. God is altogether separate from us. This is what it means to be holy. From the burning bush, God says, verse 5, Moses, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. You see, the ground was holy because the holy God was there. God alone makes people and places holy. And then he calls us to be like him. To love the things he loves. To reject the things he rejects. To reflect his character as we live for him. Even so, we will never be God. We are not gods. We are not gods and we will never be gods. As the transcendent God, he is altogether separate, distinct from us. And we must fear him. Fear him. The response of Moses is like the response of Samuel and Isaiah to the voice of God. Here I am, God. I'm right here at your disposal. You are God. I'll do whatever you call me to do. Whatever you say, I'll do it. You are God. The scriptures are filled, the Old Testament is filled with exhortations to to fear the Lord. I think we have a tendency sometimes, I know I have, to gloss over this word. Perhaps to say, you know, it simply means respect. Although there's a great deal of similarity there, in a sense to me, respect implies boundaries. Fear may not. If I said to you, I respect the Rottweiler in my neighbor's backyard, you know what I mean by that. I'm not going there. I'll stay out here and everything's okay as long as I don't interact. But we can't do that with God. There is no escaping God. There is no place to hide from Him. Not only is He all-knowing, but He is also ever-present. He's ever-present. And as in a healthy home where children have a certain degree, a, a healthy degree of fear for their parents that helps them make wise behavioral choices at an early age, we creatures ought to have a certain fear of the Creator simply because He is God. But also like in a healthy home where fear of mom or dad is nuanced significantly by their unconditional love and their gracious character and their patient interaction with us. So our fear of God ought to be nuanced by his good and gracious character. Yes, he is the transcendent God. He is the Holy One who is altogether separate from us. But he is also the one who hears our cries for help. And who takes action for our good because he loves us. God hears our cries for help. 
He hears our cries for help. We, we can't read this text without noticing that the Lord notices. The Lord notices the misery of his people. He hears them crying out and he shows concern for them. That's evident in verse 7. Again in verse 9, their cry has reached him and he has seen their oppression. You see, God had not forgotten his promises to them. God never forgets his promises. Not only does he hear their cry for help, but he does something about it. In fact, in the scriptures, when the Bible speaks of God remembering, it's assumed that God is acting on what he is remembering. He rescues those in bondage. He rescues those in bondage. He stoops down to save. This is what God does. Verse 8, so I have come down. God says to Moses, I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God is a rescuing God. By his power, he hears our cries for help and in his goodness, he responds by delivering us from bondage. As I considered some of the truths that are conveyed here, I thought late yesterday of the recent film, the 2016 family-friendly film, Pete's Dragon. Anybody seen Pete's Dragon? I bet a few of you have, particularly maybe those of you with with kids. This particular story uh, is about the interaction between this this dragon that's discovered in the Pacific Northwest and a a young boy who's lost, finds his way into the wilderness. This this dragon, Elliot, has this uh, unique ability to vanish, to vanish and then reappear. Likewise, God, God appears. He, he makes himself known. He reveals who he is. But unlike that story, this story really happened. The, these things unfolded exactly as the scriptures say that they did. God heard, God remembered, and God responded. Moses went to Pharaoh. God performed miracles through Moses. The Israelite slaves left Egypt. The water parted. God saved and set apart the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to be his people, just as he promised he would do. And we can hardly overstate the significance of this story, this story of deliverance in in the Bible. But even so, friends, this story is a slice of a larger story. It's a slice of a bigger story, a grander story of salvation for all who cry out for this God to save them. Cry out for God to save you. And to cry out for God to save you, for he hears you. You may not think that you're enslaved in a foreign land. But without a savior, the Bible teaches that we are enslaved to sin. Entangled in a web of lies and deceit. And rebellion, ultimately worshiping ourselves rather than this holy God who made us. You see, in Adam, we all chose sin. And the result of our sin is a world of chaos and hardship, suffering and pain, sickness, bondage and death. We need a savior. We need someone to rescue us. And God rescues us. Friend, heed the words of the great preacher and theologian Charles Spurgeon who beckoned his listeners with these words, saying, Sinner, tell God your misery, even now. And he will hear your story. He is willing to listen, even to that sad and wretched tale of yours about your multiplied transgressions, your hardness of heart, your rejections of Christ. Tell him all, for he will hear it. 
Tell Him what it is you want, what large mercy, what great forgiveness. Just lay your whole case before Him. Do not hesitate for a single moment. He will hear it. He will be attentive to the voice of your cry. Just cry out for God to save you, for He will hear it. He always hears it, and He will be attentive to the voice of your cry. The Holy God knows her plight and stoops to save. And then He sends those that He saves. He sends the saves to to participate in His great plan as we serve Him. See, God always is and always supplies those He sends. God always is and always supplies those he sins. So recall what happens here. God appears to Moses in a flaming bush. He speaks to Moses about the Israelites' oppression in Egypt. And then he tells Moses that God has chosen him to go. Verse 10, Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And before we're too hard on Moses for the way that he responds to this demand, this request from the Lord... Let's consider Moses' story. As one who's raised under Pharaoh's daughter, Moses really could likely never fully identify with the the oppression and the slavery and the suffering of his people. Would his people trust him? Would they look to him as a leader? What is more, Moses is known to have committed murder. He's fled Egypt already. The Pharaoh... Preceding the current Pharaoh was after him, wanted to kill him. How would he go back to the next king some 40 years later with such an outlandish request, demand, really? Let God's people go. So understandably, Moses wanted to know the answer to two fundamental questions before he went on such a journey. Firstly, who am I for such a task? And God, who are you? And of course, Moses knew who he was. Just as well as you know who you are. Moses knew that he was a Hebrew. He knew that he was from the tribe of Levi. He knew that he was a brother to Miriam and Aaron. He knew that he was raised as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. He knew that he was the husband of Zipporah and the father of Gershom. He knew that he was a shepherd of Jethro's flock. See, Moses wasn't asking God to lead him on an enlightening journey of self-discovery, but was saying... God, why me? Why me? Couldn't you find someone else to do this? Or or better yet, God, couldn't you do this on your own? And God responds, verse 12, and says, Moses, I will be with you. Moses, it doesn't really matter who you are as long as I am with you. And I am calling you to go and promising to go with you. So trust me. And friends, you know that everywhere God calls you to go, everywhere that God sends you, he goes with you. Moses was commissioned by God to go and to speak for God, to represent God. And Christian, you too are commissioned by God, called by God. To go and to speak for God. To represent God here. Jesus said, therefore go, right? Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. 
Go and teach them the truth. Go make other followers of Jesus. And the very next verse, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, he says what? And surely I am with you always. God always supplies those he sends. He gives us what we need to do, what it is that he has called us to do. Let's consider the text our children learn over the last several days. The text that we heard earlier, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. God has supplied. He gives us everything we need to live for him, to serve him, to follow him. God says to Moses, I will be with you. Moses responds, okay, good. I need a little more reassurance. Who are you? If I go in your name, God, I need to know your name. I need to be able to tell those I go to who it is that sends me. God says to Moses, verse 14, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God continues to say, say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So here in verse 15, God reveals his covenant name, his personal name, Yahweh. Written as the Lord in all caps in our English Bibles, most of our English translations, and written that way for centuries, spoken as Adonai, Hebrew for Lord, and the Greek Kyrios, meaning master, reflecting reverence for the holy name, for fear of somehow mispronouncing it and thereby taking God's name in vain. A respect for God and His identity, even for His name that we seem to have lost today. Carelessly, flippantly, casually addressing Him, speaking of Him. But this name, name Yahweh, appearing in your Bibles in all caps, appears nearly 7,000 times in the Old Testament. And it means he is. God says, tell them, I am has sent you. Then God substitutes the third person form of that verb to be saying, tell the Israelites, he is has sent me to you. Friends, what does it mean that God is? Well, first, I think it means that he is mysterious. God is mysterious. What an odd way to describe himself. Who are you? I am. Tell them, He is sent you. But God uses variations of uh, this verb to be. Uh, the most basic and common verb used in just about any language. He uses variations of it five times in verses 12 through 15 to describe and display His identity. And yet, even so, as simple as it sounds, we don't fully understand what it means. But how fitting, right? How fitting for though we know God to be to the extent that He has revealed Himself, we do not fully understand Him. And why would we? He is the transcendent God. There's none like Him. In the words of one scholar, Dr. Philip Ryken, who's the current president of Wheaton College, he writes, he says, Who is God? God is who He is. And that's all there is to it. God's name implies that he is mysterious and, secondly, that he is eternal and unchanging. He's eternal and unchanging. God says, I am who I am. 
His name occurs in the present tense. Because he stands outside of time. He has no real past or future. Only an eternal presence. He always is. And his character is constant. Some 1,000 years later, this God speaks through his servant, through the prophet Malachi, expressing severe dissatisfaction with his people for their casual worship. They're bringing God leftovers. They're profaning his temple. They're disregarding his holiness. And God says to them through Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, he says, I, the Lord, or I, Yahweh, do not change. I don't change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. In other words, God says, the only reason I've not destroyed you, the only reason I've not wiped you out for your continual rebellion and disobedience and idolatry is because my grace is constant. My character is unchanging. My unfailing love for my people spares them when they sin. Yahweh is mysterious. Yahweh is eternal and unchanging and Yahweh is self-existent and self-sufficient. He's self-existent and self-sufficient. What do you mean by that? He's the source of all life. Thus, he depends on no one or nothing. He is the only truly independent one for all else owes its life to him. Psalm 90 verse 2. Before the mountains were born, where you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. With no unmet needs, God needs no help. Perpetually self-existent. Like the flaming bush that never burns up. In the words of one 17th century Puritan, the greatest and best man in the world must say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. But God says absolutely. And it is more than any creature, man or angel can say, I am that I am. See, to believe in the God who is, the one who is mysterious and eternal and unchanging and self-existent and self-sufficient must necessarily mean that we worship the very same God who appeared to Moses. The God who delivered on His promise by rescuing His people from bondage. The transcendent God who reveals Himself and rescues His people. But friends, the... The only real difference now is that this God of Moses has revealed a new name to us. A new name that we are to call Him. A new name by which we are to know Him. It is the name of Jesus Christ. The only name that saves. You see, the God who always is and who always supplies is the Christ who comes. He is the Christ who comes. He is the Christ who comes. He is, Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, the Alpha and the Omega. The one who was and who is and who is to come. Christ Jesus is the God who is, the one who said, John chapter 8, verse 58, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Clearly understood by the Jews of his day as a claim to be Yahweh incarnate. The God of the patriarchs, the one who spoke to Moses from the bush, the one who gave the law on Mount Sinai, the one who resided in the tabernacle, and the one who promised a Messiah from the line of David who would reign forever and ever. He is Jesus. 
Which is why Paul would write in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, to declare Jesus is Lord, Greek, kyrios, the Greek title spoken in place of Yahweh, it's certainly to declare that Jesus is master. That he holds authority, that he is sovereign, but also it is to declare that he is Yahweh. Jesus is the great I am. So put your faith in the great I am. Put your faith in the great I am. This is what it means to be a Christian. Friends, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to be saved. Jesus is not simply some messenger sent from God. He's not just a man called to represent God. He is not just a good moral teacher or the founder of a religion. He is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is the great I am. This is why Jesus said, John chapter 8, verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. See, the transcendent God who reveals himself through his word is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christ who rescues his people. From the God who called Moses is the Christ who calls you today. He's the Christ who is still calling people to know and follow him today. He's still the Christ that is calling people to be saved today. To experience his rescue today. Fear him. Cry out for him. Put your faith in him and follow him. Follow him. May we follow Christ, our Savior and Lord. For as we do, church, we follow the God who always is. The transcendent God who reveals himself and rescues his people. Let's bow in prayer. And Lord, we do acknowledge this morning that you alone are God. And Lord, we know you because you have made yourself known to us. Lord, you have spoken. You have revealed yourself. You've not left us in the dark. Lord, though we have turned from you, you invite us to be rescued, to be redeemed, to be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ through the gospel. Father, we thank you for the privilege of of knowing and serving and following you. We thank you that though you are mighty, though you are sovereign, though you are all-powerful and ever-present, you are gracious. Lord, you are compassionate. You're patient with us. Your love never fails. You invite us to approach you through faith as as our Father. Lord, you adopt us into your family. You welcome us into your presence. Though you are holy and mighty, Lord, you invite us to commune with you. Invite us to live eternally with you, to find life and satisfaction and joy and hope and peace in you because of what you did on our behalf. Lord, may we know you more. May we serve you more. May we follow Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.